Welcome to Q&A with SNA and today we have um, with us a very special guest, somebody who is uh, has been in our lives for a very long time um, because we're all really old now, aren't we, Ryan? Indeed. <laughs> Welcome to Ryan Jeffrey. Thank you for coming along today and um, joining us on our podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure. Always great fun having a chat. <laughs> well, that's all we're going to be doing today. So um, I will try not to talk too much because that's what I do. Um, so Ryan, as I said, we've been friends for a long time. You've been friends with Shane for a lot longer than you have with me as well. Since high school. So year seven, year seven. Indeed. So tell yes. us about your, um, recollections of your years as a friend of Shane's. Is this a PG rated <laughs> one or, or where do we go with this? Now I know the both of you, so I know that it is very PG. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> we're both, uh, both as boring now as we were back then, I think. But, oh, no. Speak for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely no. for myself. Oh, a fair bit probably related to being on a basketball court or a footy field yeah. or, or things like that. So, yeah. yeah. Was it Progress Road in... Yeah, up at the branch. Yeah, the branch, Year 7 branch, was separate to the rest of the... So Montmorency Secondary College. Yeah, they heard what was coming from uh, yeah. from primary school <laughs> and was going, we've got to separate them from the rest of the <laughs> rest of the school. Yeah, that's right. But yeah. yeah, known each other since. And it's been, yeah, great friendship and, and now a business relationship as well. Indeed. So, yeah. That's, um, it's... Yeah, it's interesting being the the third part of this conversation because I haven't known Ryan for nearly as long, so I don't have all of those naughty stories. Um, but perhaps tell us um, a little bit about your degree, you know, post high school and what you focused on in your degree, Ryan, and then how it has translated to what you do now. Yeah, well, it was funny coming into the end of year 12, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, just figured probably do engineering and the big decision I guess was projecting forward so what was what was going to be important in the years in the future so but all right computers are going to be big mm -hmm. and optical fibers and telecommunications are going to be really big so I ended up choosing the double degree that was a degree in computer science and a degree in engineering which was majoring in optical um, and little did I know at that stage that what I fell in love with in the future happened to actually overlap those two areas quite significantly. And I guess we'll get onto that with some of the later questions. <laughs> um, so if you were going to have to go back to that point in your decision making, would you make the same decisions now as what you did back then? What, what has evolved in the time between then and now that may reinform your decision yeah i think um, very much these days I, I if i'm mentoring people these days I, I wouldn't really recommend going through uni um partly because um a lot of even back then when i was going through a lot of what was being taught to us was being taught in a very academic sense mm -hmm. and it was also being taught on stuff that was maybe up to five years old or or things like that and in fields where it's still quite nascent, still quite cutting edge, it's evolving really quickly. A lot of the technology that was being taught was great as a conceptual base, but not really necessarily that useful going forward. And so I sort of see that even the free stuff on YouTube these days is mm. so much more valuable than what we were being taught by quite a few of the lecturers back then. Um, so obviously it's different if you're being a, a doctor or a lawyer and you really need those certifications. Mm -hmm. Even an engineer in the sense of a civil engineer still needs the certifications, but in my form of engineering, I'm pretty sure I could do most of it. And in fact, some of the best engineers I've worked with haven't been degree qualified. So a lot of, it's very, very few people I'd recommend actually go through uni. So mm -hmm. the uni I see has two benefits. As one is that interaction of people, yeah. but so much is now done online that you're not getting that to build that network. Mm. And the other part is then the getting the information, which in many cases could be quite old. Yeah. But still there's that mentality in these fields, engineering, whatever it might be, that you've got to go through university, otherwise you're not going to get there. It you're is. not going to get to where you want to be. Well, yeah. and I think um, one of the best signs is probably actually that you're committing for three, four, five years mm. or whatever. 
you're doing the hard work. Mm-hmm. So it's a proof point to employers to say yeah. you're willing to seek at something with a long term in mind and a, a real commitment to your own career. Yeah, yeah. And so post university, tell us the journey said that word now we've said yeah. it journey is one of shane's least favorite words in the world <laughs> but it's definitely appropriate in this situation you finished uni now you are running a business and uh you know you have a real passion for something hence the business name passionate about oss which is the thing that you do now the journey between the end of university and there has been pretty um, exciting and uh, you've gone to lots of exciting places and done lots of great stuff. In a nutshell, because we've only got like 45 minutes in this episode, (laughs) um, tell us about how all of that has worked. Yeah, it's been interesting actually. So straight out of uni, the usual thing when you're coming out of uni is to try and get in one of the really big organisations. So for me, an interest in telco meant I was really interested in getting in at Telstra or or somewhere like that. And as it turned out, I didn't get into one of those graduate programs. My specific area of interest didn't happen to align with what they wanted to do in their grad programs. And I ended up in a really small company. but that was such a blessing in disguise. I, I didn't realize at the time, but when you get into a, a Telstra, you tend to get in a little pigeonhole and then you do a little bit and a little bit. Whereas the first company I was with, within six months of starting, I was in charge of 30 or 40 people and in charge of a budget of about $100 million of a project that came along. You just don't get that mm. in a that's smaller a, organization. That's not throwing you in, a de- in the deep end much, is not it? Not at all. No. Well, <laughs> yeah. well, a great story that, <laughs> that came out of that. So even further in the deep end is um, I went over to Indonesia and we were bidding on a, a chunk of work that was probably $200, $250 million. <clears throat> and the, the guys who had set it up, one of the guys got so drunk the night before that he literally couldn't talk in the presentation. <laughs> so then he kind of just passed it on to my CEO and my CEO didn't know what we were talking about. So he's just passed it on to me. So I'm presenting to the board of directors of a company that it's like an Energex here in Australia, a big power company. And um, yeah, so this is probably 12 months, 18 months out of uni, presenting to top-end corporate yeah. uh, on very, so what, very like big projects. So what, like 23, you were 23 years old or something, something like, like that? Something like that, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And very, very green because I hadn't done a lot of um, the uh, like the, the McDonald's or those other mm-hmm. jobs yeah. that a lot of kids do growing up. So I'd been all about sport and all about uh, study and uni. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it was pretty so daunting that, but fun. From that point in Indonesia, where else, where, where did you go from there? Yeah, well, so interestingly, um, that then sort of led me to the world of OSS and that was back in 2000, did the first project there. So OSS, what, what, what does <laughs> yes. OSS stand for? Yeah, yeah, so OSS is Operational Support Systems and they are the software and tools and systems and process that sit behind a telco that allow a telco to run. So things like you're putting on a mobile phone, you're, you want your service activated, it uses these tools. It, um, if you want something installed at your home, it organises the workforce and the assets, etc., to come out to you mm-hmm. and, uh, and get those done. Um, if there's a fault in the network, this organises getting the fault fixed. Right. Sometimes not very effectively. Exactly right. Or is that the people, it's probably not the OSS itself, it's probably the people behind (laughs) it. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. it's a combination really. So if you look at some of the the bigger telcos, they've literally got thousands of applications that all try and mesh together. Mm -hmm. And often the applications themselves, they work quite well usually, but it's in the integrations of all of the pieces that, that things can come unstuck a little bit. And you've got the human factor that yes. you alluded to, Shane. <laughs> yes. So um, back to that, Indonesia to where? Yeah, so probably ends up uh, about 12 or 15 different countries that I've worked in for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. So um, Indonesia is probably a year and a half, Taiwan two and a half years, uh, Philippines, India, 
uh, Middle East for a year and a half or so. Um, so yeah, a number of different places along the way. Yeah. And part of that was just the interesting projects. So I never had that ambition to travel, unlike yourselves. Uh, travel's never really been a big thing for me, but uh, the exciting projects to get to do those overseas. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, when we were all at the footy on a Friday night and Ryan was in, you know, Taiwan or somewhere exciting like that and we, it was back in the days, and I'll say this, back in the days when we didn't have, you know, FaceTime or Facebook or any of those things. So it was kind of like, oh, where's Ryan this month? And he, it was all very elusive because we couldn't, <laughs> we didn't know what you were doing. You were like I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> but it was all, you know, a big mystery to us is like, why, why is Ryan? in the Middle East and what is he doing over there and um, we would find out from another friend of ours because you would sort of do the three-way chain of you know you tell that person and they'll then say where Ryan is this week so um, for us it was probably um, you know we thought that it was all really exciting and very very adventurous and everything for Ryan it was probably like oh gosh another hotel or another you know buffet breakfast or something like that so <laughs> Well, the funny thing is, too, it's like parallel dimensions because you know you've got a life back here in mm. Australia whilst yeah. you've also got the life going on um, over there. And yeah. it, those projects tend to be really, really intense. So sort of talked about the, the travel thing, but for most of the time overseas, it probably averaged an 85-hour week. Yeah. Mm. So it was predominantly about get in, get the project done, and then move on. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely parallel worlds. You're yeah, yeah. Really in that world of really, really embedded in that world um, whilst over there and then you come back and catch up with everybody and see everything you've missed for the last six months. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And um, for the listeners... Ryan isn't the only person in uh, our group of um, broader friends that has spent a lot of time overseas. So we're kind of used to the conversations of where they people come back and, you know, you catch up once a year or something like that. And, and yes, you're right, life goes on with friends and family and everything while you're um, while you're away and it's it can kind of feel a bit disjointed. As I alluded to, there was no Facebook or, you know, any of that. How did you keep, you know, connected to the people at home? Because you still do have a really strong relationship with all of your friendship group um, and your broader community as well. So how did you keep those connections going while you were away? Yeah, and <clears throat> to be honest, I think I probably failed at that a bit, particularly in those early years, partly because... I guess I was building those communications networks <laughs> yeah. that allow You're these things to happen. For us yeah. now being able to connect. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, definitely the the tools were in their infancy back then, and and I didn't stay in touch uh, as well as what I should have. An email here and there, but it's funny how you just slot straight back in when mm. you come back to Australia. It's the, all those lives, all that that the people that you've known for 20 or 30 years, yeah. you just slot straight back in. Mm. Um, it's not like I have to re-establish these connections because most of my friendship group, like yourselves, it's been there for so long that you don't have to re-establish those relationships. But it's probably hard on mum and dad at yeah. that time. Yeah. But, yeah, um, an occasional phone call, but other than that, yes, the, their child, the, their eldest child, Yep. suddenly off and disappeared and hardly hardly getting to see them for, for months on end. Yeah. So you did that travel extensively. You came back to Australia and came back to Melbourne. Then what was the next part of your career? Yeah, so I probably did projects that ended up going for years at a time. So I was jumping backwards and forwards. So I'd do a, an overseas project, come back here. And so I ended up being CTO of a consulting company, doing IT, telco and the world of OSS and I guess doing that I got put onto a project working with one of our big telcos and there wasn't much OSS in that project so I think I, I was responsible for maybe 120 million but only about 3 million of it was OSS and mm -hmm. started to feel like oh, I'm really missing it I want to tell stories I want to interact with my crowd and so I ended up starting writing blogs mm -hmm. and then the blogs became the book and the book then become podcasts. But it also drove a lot of consulting opportunities and 
the consulting grew and grew and grew and it mm. got to the point where I was trying to do two jobs at once, so doing the CTO yeah. role as well <laughs> as running Passionate About OSS. So the funny thing is, is it's called Passionate About OSS. That's actually the blog name. Yeah. Uh, but because a brand built behind it, it also became the company name. Mm. If I were choosing a company name, I wouldn't necessarily choose Passionate About OSS. But yeah, yeah. There was something that happened in between and she's probably going to be very, very angry that I mention it and you don't have to say her name if you don't want to, but I'm <laughs> also very happy for you to do that. Tell us a little bit about the the little story behind that because I think it's actually a really beautiful story and, you know, as a result of that, we now have this connection that we wouldn't have had otherwise. So you tell us, I know you know what I'm alluding to, tell us as much as you want to about how all of that went down because the story is actually really beautiful. So Yeah, and I'll tell the short version because it's, <laughs> a, it's a weird and wonderful ride to be honest. So, yeah, I guess um, when I went to Indonesia, I went, and stayed in the Marriott Hotel. And I happened to stay in that window between the two bombings of mm -hmm. hotel um, in Jakarta. Uh, but during that time, each morning I would get part of the, the room rate was also a buffet breakfast. And so most mornings over that year that I was doing that project, I would come down for the buffet breakfast and there happened to be this delightful young lady there at the at the door greeting and, and bringing people in. And the interesting thing was is I thought, yeah, I'm really interested in her. But she's just into this because of customer service. They're really, really good customer service at that high-class hotels. And so I've seen it so many times, <laughs> expats who come and think, oh, this girl's into me and really all over them and no, it's just the customer service. So it wasn't really towards the end and we didn't have a relationship for the year that I was there but it actually became a long distance relationship after I came back after finishing the project. She moved to the Middle East, that was the reason I took the project in the Middle East. Uh, we actually bounced around another three or four different countries and then yeah, then she came back to um, stay here and, uh, yeah, and now we're, we've been married for just the other week. It's now, uh, now 12 years. Wow, congratulations. Um, <laughs> and we now have an 11-year-old and 7-year-old as a result. And, yeah, she's a very special part of the journey for yeah. sure. Yeah, definitely. And how has having a family changed your perspective about all of that? Because travel was such a big thing and obviously, you know, how, how has having a young family changed the way you work? Oh, in a huge way. So I had to actually completely pivot the business model to mm -hmm. be able to support that. So um, when you're doing the implementation part of these projects, you really need to be on site mm -hmm. with the team Often the teams are 20 or 30 people, yep. all interacting really closely on a day-to-day -day basis to get the project done. And having a young family where those projects, there might only be an occasional one here in Australia or in mm. Melbourne, yep. but there's always ones happening all around the world. So I couldn't really do that job and maintain that family relationship. So I had to move from, instead of doing the implementation part of the project, it's a lot more of the pre-implementation mm -hmm. part and that way I can actually service a customer base all around the world. Yeah. Um, doing it mostly remotely but helping them things with things like finding the right vendor to build the project, uh, helping them with requirements, helping them with road mapping. Mm -hmm. So all of those things that you can do remotely. So yeah. I had to quite significantly change the, the way of work. Yeah, and so that's why the decision, that's why that you made the decision to pivot to what you do now. So we've talked about all of those really exciting projects all over the world. Tell us how you work now, Ryan, because it's, you know, you, you don't have the traditional sort of office job. Tell us how it all works for you now. What's like a typical day in Ryan's existence? Oh, it's all chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> it's all over the place, yeah, but no. Yeah. Um, so it, the fantastic part about these days is the commute, instead of being a one and a quarter, one and a half hour commute each way each day, yeah, the commute is now from upstairs to downstairs. <laughs> yes. um, and the office is downstairs. And 
the exciting thing is, is I still get to deal with those really big projects and interesting projects, but it tends to be more in collaboration. Mm -hmm. So it's really, at the moment, it's just a team of me and, and some other support. Uh, but yeah, the aim is, I think I'm starting to pivot that there's so much work sort mm -hmm. of coming along that I have to change that to an extent. Yeah. Uh, but still being able to do those projects in collaboration with other companies and I think in doing that, it's really opened my eyes to the power of connection mm -hmm. as well. Uh, yeah. It's been, instead of solving the problem myself and doing the technical work, it's now, I think I can bolt this company with this company and this company together mm -hmm. um, to make a great outcome. And so getting things done with other companies and, and other organisations. Is that sustainable at home, doing it at home in the long term? Oh, I think so. So... It ends up being a fairly big um, commitment of time mm -hmm. and juggling the the use of that time too. So it's quite common that I do the the 8.30 to 5 or 6, then spend time with the kiddos mm -hmm. and then from 9 o'clock through to midnight, 1am, 2am or whatever is when the second shift starts. Yeah. But there's also flexibility in that that if I need to drop out the kids up or to um, get involved in some of their events we just organize around it so the flexibility of doing that is so much yeah so much better um, running your own organization rather than being an employee where because you're employed from nine to five there's the expectation that your employer has got your full attention yeah. from nine to five and you think you're getting that balance right in terms of separating work from home when it's in the same location uh, probably not. Mm. I'm so passionate about it that I tend to be constantly thinking about it anyway mm -hmm. or mm. researching or what else to do anyway. So the, the hours are not really necessarily sustainable and part of that is that ambition to get over a hump that leads to an easier or um, more relaxed existence beyond that. Mm -hmm. But I think also that commitment of ours is also, it fascinates me because it's one of those areas that's just exploding in so many different directions in terms of uh, new technologies, new ways, etc. that for me to really do my job properly, I need to really dive deep on a lot of different things, which I also, also find fun and I probably wouldn't replace it. Yeah. Mm. Maybe not the the two a.m. finishes, but maybe more like an 11, 11 p.m. finish. So it's a hobby. Sense. It's a hobby and an interest it's as well a, as absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely, a hundred percent. That um, there are many cases where I actually do a lot of pro bono work because I'm just passionate about it, mm -hmm. like committing to international standards to be able to help write those. And there's no no direct payback, but it's such a hobby that I'm fascinated about, passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have been in business for a while now for yourself um, and I'm really interested in this because Shane and I uh, have recently gone through a situation where we have put together uh, our very first ever business plan even though we've been in business for 18 years because we've never subscribed to the you know having things set on a on a piece of paper but we went last week we we went through a program and we put a business plan down are you a business planner or are you a fly by the seats of your pants? It's a little bit of a combination of both. Mm -hmm. that, um, it's, I guess, that old saying, you can always have a plan, but as soon as you get, as the Mike Tyson comment about, as soon as you get, a, get punched in the face, the, the plan kind of goes out yep. the window. Mm -hmm. And so I love the, the fact of business planning means you're thinking about a lot of the possibilities. Mm -hmm. The chances of it actually playing out is unlikely but just the fact that you've thought okay lots of different dimensions yep. lots of different directions but I think I've always been a long-term thinker anyway mm -hmm. so it's not like what am I doing today and the rest of this week is where am I taking this two years three years five years so that's always just been part of it so I think it's a combination actually yeah and have you got it written down um, or is it just parts of it yeah. yeah parts of it are, are written down mm -hmm. uh, more probably like slide notes and things yeah. like mm -hmm. that. Um, whiteboards, I've got the, the whiteboard permanently set up in the office there as well, yeah. which has got a lot of the things 
a lot of the ambitions and targets. So it's almost like a pseudo bucket list of. Yeah. Yeah. So that bucket list definitely aligns with things that I want to do. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of bright shiny object syndrome too, <laughs> as, I, as I do a lot of the research and think of, oh, oh, this is a great idea. I should do that. YouTube videos, for example, expect yeah. a whole bunch more of those to be popping up shortly. Yeah, yeah. I think um, Shane watches a lot of YouTube videos, so I can totally get that as well. We we've started watching a YouTube series, and it, Shane said last night, "This is actually our favourite show, and it's not a show at all. It's just a YouTube series." But um, we were talking actually to Jacob the other day because there are some very very significant youtubers that young people in that age bracket are very used to and we were you know talking about how when we were young we you know there was nothing like that at all so we, we learned in a very different way didn't we as you said you know you can learn a lot from youtube videos these days that you didn't have access to so it's perfectly sensible for some people to just say university isn't for me and i'll i'll watch these via youtube so i think it's just incredible so thank you for being part of the team that brings (laughs) us technology that can make youtube videos so that's great and just on that too with the technology your industry it's fairly um dynamic and ever changing so how do you keep pace with that and how how do you stay relevant yeah so part of it i think is um, so a lot of what I try and do is simplify things because it's a really complex area and my customers tend to be finding a lot of complexity in the space. So it's how do you simplify that down, distill it down, but also have an eye on the future because as much as it sounds like, oh, okay, it's just software, it's just for telco, but telco effectively facilitates all e-business mm. and Therefore, if you lose your comms lines, you lose the ability to process your payments and yeah. everything else that comes with a modern business. And yeah, just so I think it's um, yeah, I think it's a really important field to stay abreast of the the changes that are happening too. So the last couple of years, I've spent a lot more time looking at augmented reality because of, I think it's going to change the way that we do things mm-hmm. into the future at the moment we're just waiting on the headsets to catch up that mm. that really become immersive or allow us to become more immersive yeah. but the software solutions and the data that underpins it is already happening so i'm already seeing that and investing time into that because it will change you know, field technicians that, that go out in the field and they're now supported by extra information instead of just looking at uh, a run sheet or a, a design document or something like that. Mm. So I think it's it's proliferating in so many different directions and that's part of the reason I spend so much time on it is because yeah, augmented reality, what's that got to do with OSS? And yet I think it's got a lot to do with OSS and that also crosses into those other industries. So is this the industry you want to stay in, in the short, medium, long term? Or are there other other aspirations? Uh, always other aspirations. Um, but no, I think because this does move out into so many different areas that telco to an extent is going through a really tough period at the moment in terms of revenues are declining, profitability is declining, etc. That it's struggling to do some of the, the really big and interesting projects that it did back around the turn of the century, for example. Uh, but I also think that a lot of the tools we build for a telco, it's for running a telco, all of the aspects of running a telco, like mm-hmm. running the people, running the billing, running the everything. That translates perfectly to any other industry. Mm-hmm. So it's more of a case of can we actually, instead of just looking inwards at telco, actually look outwards and how can these tools actually help benefit all of the companies that rely on telco and running their business. So, yeah, I'm not really sure where it leads, but, yeah, just meander and, and follow the path. And So outside OSS, uh, personal interests, uh, sport, you said before. So what things do you do after hours yep. that are not OSS related? Yeah. Um, so certainly a lot of research in tech and things like that mm. but yeah also uh, it's really important i think i've always found that that even working those 85 hour weeks the 
the physical movement, the physical activity is really important. I don't think I'm one of those people who gets that stressed anyway, but I think it's really important for mental health as well. So, yeah, tennis at least once a week, um, mixed netball once a week, uh, try and get out for a walk at least a few times a week. So, yeah, most days there's probably some sort of physical activity out there as well. And obviously the kids have, have got different things on get involved with as well yeah, not trying to train them to be center half forward for hawthorne in the future <coughs> or anything like that i'd love that but no um interestingly our eldest is uh we took him down to Auskick and uh he just looked really he just moved really well scooping up the ball kicked the ball etc but got hit in the face by a football about three quarters of the way through the session Ever since then, he's associated <laughs> physical activity with pain. So I'm not sure that that quite fits the the centre half forward for Hawthorne type model. Oh, if I don't you know associate the centre half forward at Hawthorne ever gets the ball too much anyway, right? So I think you're okay. Well, not, the, not recently, but I don't have to think that far back to know when there was a good time when Ruffy and Buddy were running around. That's true. Uh, so it's the great thing about footy, right? Yeah, is, exactly. yeah, if it's not working out for you well now, just yeah, wait a few yeah. years. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I think, um, yeah, football is one of those things in um, in our existence, and um, we used to spend a lot of time watching football with you guys. Ryan, it was uh, a Sunday afternoon activity at Ryan's place watching the footy. Or a Friday night, yeah, or a Saturday night, whichever it, it was. To be, yeah. Barbecue, barbecue yeah. on the deck, and and stuff. Our friendship group has obviously evolved and changed over the years and, you know, everyone's had kids and now we sort of struggle to get everybody together for one of those Sunday afternoon activities. But um, as I alluded to earlier, the connections between your friends and, and some of the friends who have moved further afield that you still maintain pretty close relationships with even if they don't live nearby how do you as a as a man as a you know in in your personality you've you've got kids now what do you say to your kids about keeping those connections because your high school and primary school friends are a really close friendship group and i'm guessing that a lot of you have gotten each other through a whole bunch of tough times now you've got your own boys what do you what do you say to them you know when they're you know, to, to bring them into that sort of community. Yeah, it's interesting too. So um, even going back further than primary school, so one of our friends I've actually known since kinder. Mm. And I think part of that is from having stayed in the same area the whole time. So yeah. if you have to move to, to different schools, different areas, if you're, if you're travelling or moving, then you don't get that continuity. So we've had that 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 luck i guess of of being in roughly the same area and there's mm. the continuity and i think um i sort of see networks in general is often about not just what you get out of it but what you also put into mm-hmm. it and and that's one of the things i guess i encourage with our kids is add great value to other people yeah. and they'll just naturally probably give great value back to you as mm. well so I don't really suggest oh you should stay in touch with this person or do this person but just trying to add value to people in ways that they can't necessarily do things themselves yeah. and that might just be like the catch up on a Sunday and bring mm. everybody together and it's that meeting place um, it's just simple things yeah yeah I think you're right so you are not only a friend of ours, but you're a client of Angel Groups. And we've got to always talk about that as part of our um, the way we work here because we just want to bring it back into conversations about community because it's really important to us that we um, we choose to work with people that we have you know good relationships with. So you have a really, really individual niche. It's not something that many other people do. I don't actually know anybody else who does what you do. So um, what do you value most about your relationship with Shane particularly? Because I know that outside of what we do for you from a client perspective, you have there's been a lot of you know phone calls with Shane. What yeah. is the value of that? you know, conversation and, and how do you approach that? Oh, across a number of different dimensions too, which is what I love. So, for example, being an engineer, coming through a very engineering and 
a workforce uh, type of environment, most of the people I had around me were very technical. So you can have the technical discussions. But once you start up your own business, Mm -hmm. you're now doing the technical, but there's also all of the corporate stuff of running a business. And just recently, we did the talk together. And this great concept from the E-Myth book um, from many years ago was when you start up a company, you actually map out an org chart of all of the pieces of that company. And that then helps you to figure out that if you're going to grow, if if you're the only person in the company at mm-hmm. first, your name is ev- in <laughs> every <laughs> box, yeah. every that, single that box in the org that chart. You gave us that that org chart that you gave us in that talk that you alluded to was really really valuable for our team to see that, you know, Ryan is. All I'm wearing twenty hats. Yeah, 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 yeah. And but what it also does, and what Emith was about, was about saying, well, you've got these twenty different hats. If you're going to get outside help, which one of those hats mm-hmm. do you? pass on to other people and that's where entry has been incredibly valuable for me is I've known that that whole finance and tax and everything related I can go all right entry you've got that hat you've got my back on that stuff because yes I could do it but what it means is that five hours a week ten hours a week whatever it might be is distracting from the stuff that actually helps me drive a revenue drive a brand all that marketing, technical delivery, all the other stuff. So I'm already wearing too many hats and Andre's been great with that. But also it's a really big mindset shift to go from being a technician to being a business owner. Mm -hmm. And it's a very different set of skills. And obviously that's what Andre really helps with is not just the finance, but how do you set up a business? How do you set up the processes of a business? How do you do all of the, the regulatory and all of those kind of things as well? And, yeah, Shane's been invaluable. Um, but the entry group more broadly has been invaluable of, well, what are the options? How do we set up a, a trust model? Do we just do proprietary limited? How else do we structure these things to best suit the vehicle of uh, current-day employment? Yeah. Um, so... Passionate about OSS. It's a very niche market, as I said. Who is your ideal customer and for the business, but then also who is your target audience for all of the education and writing and everything else that you do? Yeah. Um, So there's probably four or five main categories of customer. And so that's the telcos, obviously. Mm -hmm. It's the vendors that provide software and solutions to the telcos. It's the integrators that actually bring all the pieces together. Lately, there's been more of the investment banking side of things Mm -hmm. because I've got such an awareness of that ecosystem. They're now saying, well, what's the the right product that we could buy or can you do a due diligence? Are they a good company to buy, et cetera? And then it's also some of the really bigger consulting firms. So some of those big name brands that that you might have heard of, that they've often got a lot of really, really talented, what I would refer to as general practitioners, Mm -hmm. know a lot about telco, but the specific niche of OSS they might need some support on. So there are... As much as it is a niche area, it's still a $40 billion addressable market, if not more. That's not a bad niche, is it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Plenty plenty of opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. But yet, the interesting thing is, is as far as I know, I'm the only person in the world who does what I do. So that pre-implementation part versus almost everybody else who does OSS, and there's a lot, Mm. they're either working for a telco or working for an integrator or working for a vendor but they're inside as an employee, not as a private agency that's just dedicated to that. There's a lot of telco people, a lot of telco type agencies or consulting firms, but they're all more general practitioners as well. But I think um, one of the important parts that, partly I love telling stories Mm -hmm. and that's the reason for the blog coming about and the videos and and all of those kind of things. So I love just sharing that knowledge. It's the natural teacher to an extent. I love sharing it. But also I think it's important in the the modern 
that we're seeing it with, I guess, the people who are developing followings on Insta and TikTok, mm. who are then turning those into businesses. So one of the, the challenging things I've got is it's almost that hybrid between a traditional consulting business and actually leveraging the power of social media and, mm. and online activity mm. to kind of foster relationships, build a network, build the trust. So I do almost no sales as such. Mm. It's almost all inbound based on people trusting from what I put out there into the world. So have you got feedback from potential customers about where they're seeing your name and, and, and what you do? Yeah, I think a lot of it's through LinkedIn, um, mm -hmm. but LinkedIn, but also the website, maybe the podcasts, maybe. The, so I think it's actually a combination. So it's so, an integrated approach and yeah. that's, you think that's really improving your brand awareness and, and, and getting those leads. Yeah, so I don't think I've, I haven't done it intentionally, but mm -hmm. they, they basically say that for someone to build trust in you, you have to spend a lot of time in their brain somehow. Mm -hmm. So whether that's reading the articles or watching the video, but it's also reinforced by touching multiple different touch points. Mm -hmm. So if you're just seeing a blog, for example, it's not as reinforcing as, oh, I've seen them on a blog and a video yeah. and yeah, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So it's certainly not why I do it. There's different ways of getting different information across through those different media. But yeah, I think it's a multi, multi-faceted. So one big customer that I'm working with at the moment was from LinkedIn, then looked at the website, looked at the videos that were linking back to YouTube. Mm -hmm. That, oh, yeah, this guy can help us with the problem that we're facing at the moment. And it shows credibility as well in terms of your knowledge and being able to do that in video form or other things yep. as opposed to an email or, or otherwise is far more effective. Yeah, and I think the important part is too is if you're, again, it's adding value to the world rather than I'm the sleazy salesperson mm, coming yep. chasing you saying, I want to strip money out of your organisation, mm. but it's more if you add value to the industry as a whole, then I guess hopefully there's that trust. And mm. I think we've really shifted that back in the old days there was an information shortage. Mm -hmm. So we needed the salespeople coming to us to tell us what was possible. These days, how many of us make a decision on what a salesperson tells us? It's mm. almost always... I'm going to look on, yeah, do some research. Look on Google yeah. research. Who's the best one that can, can help with that? Yeah. yeah. So what is next for Ryan and passionate about OSS? Oh, really excited on so many different fronts. Yeah. Uh, but I think, and it's probably partly from the inspiration of watching some YouTube channels that sort of found just in the telco space and my network in general has been a lot of them are employees using YouTube and some of the stuff I've been consuming more recently is I've been becoming more aware of different ways to structure things and mm -hmm. as I was kind of mentioning earlier on that there seems to be enough growth that I can think about I have to think about not being a solopreneur which yeah. I, I was always intending to do mm. but it means I'm for example, marketing might be two hours a week at the moment mm -hmm. and yet that's what's driving most of the leads. Yeah. Uh, it means that if I do more marketing, it means less on delivery. Mm. Delivery is what's really giving the benefit mm -hmm. um, to customers. So it means I'm only partly doing every single job in that org chart. Mm -hmm. So I think to do justice for the customers, for the industry, I have to start doing things a little bit differently. So yeah. there might be an employee coming on board soon or a contractor in some way. Yeah. So yeah. I, to an extent I'm doing that already yeah. Mm -hmm. in a small way mm -hmm. but um, and it may be in the form of a partnership or mm -hmm. yep. getting other people in to instead of it being 100% equity, yeah. it might be an equity share or something mm -hmm. like that to other people who I value mm -hmm. that can take big chunks of that org chart and do more justice because they get 40 hours a week at it rather yeah. than me splitting 10%, 10%, 10% across the org chart and, yeah, not doing doing it justice. Yeah, yeah. But we'll see. It's um, yeah, it's a big move to make and, yeah. and getting other people aligned with that vision. 
But I think that's part of the important part of doing the, the social stuff too is you're not just bringing in, uh, not just attracting customers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I'm tending to find that it's also attracting people who want to work mm-hmm. with me. Uh, can Have you got a job for me? Can yeah. I partner with you on this? So it's, it's a real lead generator. And part of that shift in thinking was a really stupid, Simple, simple comment that everybody of us kind of knows, but it was like light bulb moment for me. And it was, I was watching Daniel Priestley a video from him the other day, and he said everything's downstream of lead generation. Of course it is. Mm-hmm. Obviously it is. Yeah. But I'm spending two hours a week with the sort of the marketing stuff. Yeah. But that's what's bringing in the opportunities to work with partners, to work with customers, etc. So, yeah, it's that shift of I have to put more time into that part of it. Mm. But in the back end, what loses the time? Yeah, because you've got to deliver at the end of the day. Correct. No point getting all these leads, but they're not delivering. Correct. Yeah. And and the leads are, yeah, like I said, multidimensional. So it's not just potential employees, potential partners, customers, Mm. but, yeah, all, all these other things that come from being seen out there in the marketplace, that yeah. person of influence yeah, that exactly. Daniel Priestley talks about. The person about. That, can look, that, that can teach and educate and, you know, bring others along for the Correct. journey as well so that it's not just, you know, it can't ever just be Ryan. It has to be other people because there's too much work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And to an extent I've done that, but then I've also been handing control to other people to do big parts of it. Yeah. Okay, I can't do this project by myself. Mm. I have to engage other organisations. Um, yeah, so it, it's interesting. It's a mindset shift, but work in progress for sure. Yeah, relinquishing control of something is always a really big thing as a small business owner. How do you think you're going to manage that when somebody else is there and you have to say, okay, that's your job now and I, I need to let you go and do that? Yeah. So there's two lines of thinking I've got on that. So I think one of the things that has been a really powerful tool for me over the years is doing those $100 million type projects. Mm -hmm. It's the ability to break it down. So there's this big complex beast. How do I break it down into smaller components and say, you're responsible for that, you, 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 and breaking it down. Mm -hmm. So that's always been something that I've done for probably 20 years. And I feel comfortable with that and saying really clear in well, here's the chunk, here's what your objectives mm-hmm. are, here's how I'll support you, et cetera. Yeah. It's probably different than seeing that as an employee or as a business partner or something like that. And mm. it's also the more human factor. It's not so transactional. It's more of this isn't just getting this little task done. Yeah. This is now a 10-year, 20-year relationship that we're embarking on. Mm. So I think it's going to be, yeah, suck it and see really yeah yeah when you do your thinking so you said before that you've got a whiteboard I imagine that the whiteboard is always full of ideas do you use a particular do you subscribe to a particular theory of how you note take in that respect because I know some people are really visual and some people type their notes on their computer how does Ryan do it oh combination actually so uh, I think again I'm pretty visual Mm -hmm. The whiteboard tends to be the bigger pieces of the puzzle. But I tend to use tools like Evernote a Mm -hmm. lot that is where I'm taking all my little notes, meeting notes, ideas. One of the things I I found is with by using the keyboard, whilst it's not so visual, I've got ten contact points Mm -hmm. so I can get information from the brain down into a screen. 10 times faster than if I just Writing. write it with a pen. Yes. So if we can come up with that more human <laughs> interactive thing about getting designs down onto the page or yeah. um, maybe it's text-to-speech or things like yeah, that too. Yeah, I was going to ask, do you use text-to-speech? Probably more in the business tools with customers yeah. than, than actually using it myself, but mm-hmm. it's probably something that I should, yeah, that, that sort of... What were those old um, note-taking devices? Yeah, 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 the Dictaphone. Dictaphone, that's the one. (laughs) Yeah. But actually, yeah, using that more in a a PC-type context and and getting ideas down. Yeah, I think that's a funny thing because we were talking earlier off 
um, recording that we don't like the sound of our own voice. And I think that um, talking into a, a device is really confronting. Like you think, yeah. am I making mistakes? And, you know, how do I delete this sort of stuff? And um, getting our heads around, I know I, I often think to myself, if I could just speak my ideas, it would be much easier. But then I, it's never my first point of Yeah. But I wonder whether it's just a, that mental hurdle that as soon as you start doing it, you yeah. figure a way. So I think that's it. Yeah. yeah. Podcast. Yeah, Lawyers have been <laughs> doing it for years, haven't they? You know, the dictaphone, you see, I mean, that's a, a common thing when you're watching a, a legal TV show. They've always got their dictaphone in front of them talking to I me. Mean, I'm thinking oh, about yeah. Lewis Litt here and how he always used to talk into yeah. that little thing. I actually find too, writing now, I actually struggle. I don't write very often anymore. And actually when you've got a good <laughs> pen to paper, I'm just like, that's a real struggle. And so, so the accountant's handwriting's yeah. become the doctor's oh, handwriting. It definitely has, I can tell you. It used to be quite good and now it's, uh, yeah, it's not great. Same yeah. for me for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yes. yeah. We're, we're just too old now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just wanted to thank you for coming in today, Ryan. I know you um, work ridiculous hours and I really appreciate you coming in and spending some time with us and telling us a bit about what you do. Um, when you came into Aintree Group and talked to our team about what passionate about OSS was, um, I think that was the first time Shane and I ever got our heads really around what it was that you do because we kind of always thought that you were digging a tunnel somewhere in the Middle East and <laughs> laying fibres somewhere. But that's, that's the unofficial, yeah. yeah. Um, so I really appreciate you coming in and spending this time with us. Um, your podcast is called... Passionate, passionate about, about OSS. OSS. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Passionate um, About OSS podcast. And what, uh, what platforms are you on so that people who may wish to listen to a bit more about it? Yeah, so pretty much most of them. Yeah. Actually, not the, the really um, Gen Z type ones. So <laughs> haven't quite got on the TikTok the or the Gen Insta. <laughs> yeah, haven't quite got on those yet. Um, but yeah, so definitely YouTube is yep. Passionate About yep. OSS. So if people search for Passionate About OSS, they will find Ryan. It's the, it's pretty obvious. Awesome. Uh, again, thanks so much. And um, yeah, we'll be talking to people like Ryan uh, throughout the podcast, uh, our friends, and also people that we know through business. It's just a really general Q&A um, way of doing things. We just want to get to the bottom of what makes people tick. And I'm really uh, grateful, Ryan, that you've answered our questions in such an honest way today. I hope that uh, your beautiful wife doesn't get too upset about the fact that I've brought her into it. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, if you enjoy this podcast, we are going to be on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and uh, just take this opportunity to thank the team at Pot Plant Productions who are part of what we're doing here. There is no way that Shane and I would have the technical capability to do this ourselves. So we really appreciate the support that we get from our team uh, and also the ECLA um team before letting us use their podcast studio. So uh, until then, we'll see you next episode. Thank you. Thank you.